Friday morning, my favorite time of week, genuinely, because it is not only a Friday type of show, it's a through the weekend kind of show. Gil Alexander, your betting dork, pregame.com, and of course, Vegas Runner. What's happening, VR? Never better, brother. Good Dude. morning. Uh, Memorial Day is uh, around the corner, and you can start feeling it. it gets a little crazy out here in Vegas. People are already looking forward to uh, the huge weekend coming up following weekend. A lot of MMA, a lot of events. So usually this is like the calm before the storm. This will be a slow weekend. A lot of, you know, Californians, people from Arizona, they're not going to come in this weekend, and they're going to wait till the following weekend. So it's a nice, nice, quiet weekend for us that live here, for sure. Yeah, and I would even sort of add to that, and you can back me up on this or, or not, uh, VR, let me know your thoughts. I would even add that because it's an interleague weekend, not only from a visiting Vegas standpoint, but just in general, it's sort of a bit of a back-off weekend for some people. Is that not the case? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't have put it better myself, and I think the uh, NBA playoffs with a game on Saturday and a game on Sunday, that's going to be the heavy volume for the books. I think most bettors are simply intimidated by interleague for one reason or another, and that's actually today's Morning Moves newsletter topic. And uh, that'll be available free in the forum like it is every Friday. But uh, you're absolutely right. And what's going to happen is most of the recreational players and the public uh, bettors, they're going to use these interleague games mostly in parlays. They're going to tie up parlays. The books know this going in year in and year out. Um, so for us professionals, we're going to be able to find some value. I myself will see. I love interleague. I mean, I've never been intimidated by it. It's just simply you have to handicap it a little differently, but it's like anything else. I mean, you know, during the college basketball season, we have bracket buster Saturday. You know, that's unlike the regular season. Um, before they get into conference play, we have a lot of those invitationals and those tournaments. So, I mean, I try to approach baseball and interleague play the exact same way. It, yes, it's Major League Baseball, so, I mean, the handicapping concepts are more or less the same, but you just got to, you know, add a little this, add a little that, like the chef, because you're going to have to change the recipe a little bit to find some winners. There are definitely many more, you know, many more, and obviously in a 15-game slate, many more means even three or four more, but there are many more minus 150 and above favorites on the first interleague Friday than there are on a normal uh, betting day in baseball. And so, as you say, the dogs are heavy in about in, in over half of the games today. Um, and so there is some stuff to sort of raise your eyebrow and go, hmm, really? Detroit is that big of a dog in L.A., for instance, and that kind of stuff. So Yeah, and, and also what we can't forget is that there's some rivalries underneath, um, you know, mm-hmm. in interleague play. And I think as a handicapper, you could factor in motivation a little heavier um, when you get to interleague play than you can during the regular season. I mean, because let's tell it like it is, throughout the regular season, sure, there's some games that you could really, you know, zone in and determine the motivation. Sometimes it's a, a revenge factor, you know, from, from the pitchers meeting a week ago or, you know, just pitchers hitting the batter and they can't wait to face each other again. So, I mean, along the, the way throughout the season, you're going to be able to pick some spots where you can really – zone in on a team that's extra motivated but i think interleague play is where we as handicappers need to factor in motivation a little more heavier um and not take it as far as public perception does um because you know they're going to make a lot of hype around the subway series or you know cubs and white Sox when they meet eventually and, and things like that and because of of that rivalry i believe the line that the odds makers put out is more of a fair line than a true line and once again we as professionals are able to find value in those spots um by being able to gauge motivation correctly as opposed to your recreational player. Okay, so as you look up and down the board today, then VR, um, let's just let's have a, an example of, of one of these ball games that you're looking at that maybe f- talks about or actually factors in what you were just referring to. Well, uh, one for sure. I mean, it isn't they hate each other, but this is one of those right across the bridge type uh, series, San Fran and Oakland, and this year that Oakland 
has a good team that they put out on the field. And, you know, we all know San Fran's going to compete for the West for sure. They're not going away. So I, I think that's a very interesting um, series. And I even look, I, I think Oakland's the one that may have the chip on their shoulders um, because of the fact they haven't been good the last few years. Um, even a, a series like Cincinnati-Cleveland, I think there's a, a, a little of that rivalry there. Um, Boston-Philly, for sure. Um, I know from being from Philadelphia, I mean, we're not, we don't hate Boston, but uh, we're going to play the Red Sox. I mean, they're going to get up for that series for sure. And finally, Yankees-Mets. It doesn't get bigger than that um, for the city of New York. So, I mean, those series pop out at me as, you know, possibly dig in, try to find some motivation. And what I like to do, to be honest with you, is besides going to the team's webpage, I like to dig in and go to that city's newspaper and try to catch what the vibe is from the beat reporters that cover these teams and see maybe is there, you know, a story behind the story it is there's something there um, that isn't on the surface. And a lot of times we get that um, from those beat writers that, and you find out there is a, a hint of a rivalry or there is that motivational factor. So I highly recommend this weekend uh, above all else, um, besides checking out the team's home pages, like you definitely should day in and day out. Um, this is one of those where I'm willing to go in a little deeper and dig through the uh, sports page for that team's uh, city paper if I'm going to attempt to, you know, take a position on that matchup. Well, as you know, I'm out here in the Bay, and so the first game you talked about, the uh, Giants and the A's, I can absolutely back up the notion that, you know, people don't, when they think of rivalries, they usually tend to think of East Coast rivalries, but people out here take this A's-Giants thing really seriously or as we would say out here in the bay hella seriously and you know it's an interesting matchup zito going back to play his former team as you say you know zito he's uh, just a, a few little numbers he's got an era of less than one it's like 0.89 away from uh, at&t this year but when he's in interleague action he has been terrible, 7.61 ERA in his career, and against Oakland specifically, pointing to your rivalry uh, talk, 9.22 ERA. He's tightened up over time uh, against the A's. Now, a lot of that falls under those years where he was just playing bad for the Giants, or at least worse than he's been the rest of his career. So it is an interesting dynamic. Does Zito sort of still tighten up against the A's, or has he matured to the point now where it won't bother him at all and it's just playing against any other team? Should be interesting. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And and what else is interesting is uh, you know everyone's talking about will the American League you know keep the, the their dominance like they have in recent year um, since the beginning. I know the American League is up around fifty six percent. And uh, early on, I mean that first year they did it in ninety seven. The NL came out ahead, and um, up until two thousand they were splitting. But uh, since 2004, 2005, the American League has just destroyed them. Uh, I mean, looking at 2006, they won 61% of the games, 54% of the games, 2007, 59% in 2008, and once again around 55% last year. So I'm interested to see, you know, has the uh, National League caught up? Because this year, I think there is some really good teams in the National League, and Nothing supports that more than the standings, um, other than, you know, a team like Houston that's nine and a half back. Um, nobody's out of it yet. Where in the American League, you know, you got Baltimore 17 and a half games back. They're done. Even, you know, Cleveland and Seattle, they're eight, eight and a half games back. So I'm really interested to see how does the National League um, compete this year with a little chip on their shoulder for sure. Well, let's talk about some of those numbers you just brought up. The last I have the last five years in front of me, VR, and you make a you, you're actually almost dead on uh, since 2005. So we're talking five years. The American League is 840, 840, and 671. That's a 56 percent winning percentage. Uh, against the National League, 840 and 671 over the last five years. So two years ago, in 2008 specifically, 
uh, they were 138 and 114. And then last year, oh, excuse me, other way around. In 2008, they were 149 and 103. Last year, it narrowed a bit. It went to 138 and 114, but still, you know, a, a well above 500 for the American League. In fact, the only National League teams VR with winning records against the American League since 2005 Colorado, Florida, and St. Louis, and St. Louis is only 43 and 41. They're not even profitable. So there's only two National League teams that have gotten the best of the American League since 2005. Actually, to be honest with you, there's one other winning team. Uh, Money-wise, it's Washington, but record-wise, they're actually below 500, but they've been a dog so often, they actually tick above zero. But that's it in the National League. What's interesting is today, um, only six of those American League teams are favored. Um, you know, I mean, that's pretty much average. It's more or less close to a split. But you said the percentage was what, around 55% in the last five years? Yeah, you were you almost dead on. 56%. Yep. Wow, 56%. So, I mean, at 56%, you could lay at 125 and make a long-term profit uh, with that. So, I'm looking at... at today's games as definitely having some value, uh, especially if you're looking at the American League side, because like I said, only six of those teams come out as the favorite today. Mm-hmm. So do you, when you when you approach interleague, is that one of the things, like do you have an eye towards the American League right off the bat? Is that always in the back of your mind when capping interleague play? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Uh, of course, I mean, obviously it's going to have to come up to the particular matchup, but I mean, you gave us a pretty huge sample size right there. Yeah, that's pretty big. You know, and there there has to be, you know, some foundation behind it. I mean, it's not just numbers. It's not just, you know, I, I believe that when you have that big of a sample size, there's some substance behind it. There's something there, um, whether it be, you know, they have an edge when when the DH is in or what have you. Um, but obviously, for some reason or other, the American League has shown to have a huge edge in these interleague play. And uh, to me, 56% is a pretty huge edge over that big of a sample size. Yeah, and I think, I think it's so many things. I think you're right. One, it could be the DH and the AL ballparks. I tend to also really like an American League pitcher going against eight batters all of a sudden in a National League ballpark. People tend to focus on, oh, the American League pitcher's going to have to hit. But I think it's much it's much easier, as we see with guys like Cliff Lee or Roy Halladay. You know, when they go and have to play National League teams, all of a sudden they can they can almost be like, oh, wow. Oh, oh yeah, because the, the whole dynamic of the game changes. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, um, strategy becomes so much more important, you know, because you know that nine spots there. You know, and there's so many things you could do as far as pitching around, uh, putting someone on base, you know, to get to that pitcher, to get to that, you know, eighth and ninth spot. Um, Unlike the American League, you know, where that's just not going to happen. Many times one through nine, there's not too many possibilities to give somebody a free pass. Best team uh, in interleague history since the inception or the since uh, it was instituted back in the late 90s, uh, as many would guess, the Yankees. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 133 and 95. The worst, I believe, is the Padres. I think the wor- the worst over the last couple years. That might the Padres might not extend all the way back, but the but the best of all time, the Yankees at 133 and 95. Um, and they go as you say, Subway Series against the Mets. Although the Yankees do have Vasquez on the mound today, so that's an interesting game because he'll certainly have a lot of pressure on him, but he does pitch much better against the National League, so interesting game there. Let me ask you beyond interleague play. By the way, the one last thing I would also say as it comes into my mind is, in addition to DH, you know, pitcher pitching against eight pitchers, I just think American League GMs have done a better job, you know, over time than NL, and I just think the NL GMs, I just think they're better teams, you know, in general. Talent. I, I agree. I have to agree with you totally there, Gil, for sure. All right, let's talk uh, about bullpens here, VR, because uh, some stuff has come up. Yesterday was one of those days in Major League Baseball, as you very well know, that happens all the time where 
you know, bullpens implode. And in, in, in Atlanta, it happened in the grandest of fashions, where the Braves used a seven-run ninth inning to beat the Reds in improbable fashion with a grand slam to seal it 10-9. Uh, to nine. But Toronto's bullpen imploded. And it was just a day where carnage betters, I mean, you know, oh my God, we had this game and then the bullpens crushed us. And I preach one thing on my thread. I'd like to hear your take on um, for myself, honestly, I've never, uh, I don't want to say never, um, that's a strong word, but I, I rarely ever um, complain about having the bullpen blow up on me um, because I believe that has to be part of your handicapping factor. Um, and, and you have to weigh it heavily in today's game of baseball where we do see so many specialists. Um, it's not like back in the day where you knew, you know, your starter's going to give you seven. And we've had this actually this argument last year between me, Marco, and Steve Nover, um, where I was I was behind saying that these starters go five innings, five and a half innings. You know, the top guys will give you six now. Um, so I've never been one of those kind of betters or handicappers that you know considers every time the bullpen beats me a bad beat. Because I've learned uh, a long time ago, you really need to handicap the bullpen. And in today's game of baseball, like I said, not to keep repeating it, but there are so many specialists. Um, and these relief pitchers, you know, they get a workload. The middle relief, the setup man, the closer. And you have to factor that in. So for me, if you keep talking about bad beats and how the bullpen's beating you and how you had the lead till the eighth and how much money you'd have made if the game's ended after the seventh, um, you're doing something wrong. You're either not factoring in the bullpen enough or you need to start making five-inning wagers because, you know, you don't have the ability to factor it in correctly. And that's not a disrespect or knocking any handicapper, but you got to, you know, not allow the same thing to keep beating you. And if it happens to be late innings, then obviously that's where the problem is. And it is your handicapping of the bullpen. Perfect example, two nights ago, Arizona against San Francisco. I loved Arizona. I was willing to lay that price simply because I felt my as bad as Arizona's bullpen is, I thought my starting pitcher would be able to give me a lot of innings. Now, I had a guy on the mound that I don't think is going to get at, you know get me into the sixth. All of a sudden, I have to approach that game differently and realize, uh oh, the Arizona bullpen's going to have to win this for me, or at least you know close it out. And what we've seen this year, they haven't been able to do that. So, I mean, yeah. Myself as a handicapper, I look at it as just another challenge and just another factor that people have to handicap. And unfortunately for your recreational better, um, they just don't have the time to. Um, where, where guys like you and me who do this all day, we know who's available. We know how many innings he's pitched this week. You know, and we could already, you know, try to determine who's going to go. We knew yesterday with the Yankees, they have nobody available. Um, you know, and no, you got to know that going in that that a team's having problems like that. So, and what happened? Tampa Bay beats them. So you you have to handicap the bullpen, man. And I actually wrote a morning moves newsletter on that. I myself break it down in the three parts: an overall middle relief, you know, from the seventh inning on. I call it or late setup, man, whatever. And then my closer. Um, and there's three different you know, stats or categories, and uh, based on which starters on the mound, that's the category I'm going to dig deeper in. If I know a guy's going to give me seven, then I try not to look at, you know, those middle, long middle relief guys. Uh, you know, sometimes your starter's not going to do what you expect them to, and you're going to have to, that bullpen's going to come in earlier than you expected. Yeah, that's one of those things that's just part of the game. You can't help that. The most you could do is try to project how long your starter's going to last and take it from there. So to me, I think that's just part of the game, man. And the stronger you are at capping bullpens, the more success you're going to have, unless, like I said, you're only betting five inning games. You know, I wrote yesterday, and I've been writing it every year, when, when a 
bullpen does cost um, a game, and it happens from time to time. Even the best capper, it's going to happen to them. I said yesterday, I said, you know, yes, it makes it challenging because you can see people on the forum boards just, you know, losing their minds. And, and I understand an Atlanta-Cincinnati game, you know, by all means, lose your mind. That's not supposed to happen no matter what. Um, but, yeah, I said, you know, it does just make it more challenging. It's part of the game, but it's still, that's what excites me so much about it. And you make a great point about the fact that part of capping really is an assessment of how far that starter is going in the game. I, too, was on Ian Kennedy and the D-backs against the Giants on, um, uh, was it third, was it, excuse me, Wednesday night for the same reason. I figured that Ian Kennedy, I, you know, I, I projected that he would go deep into the game, and he did, and Arizona won it easily. Yesterday, type of game with the Toronto Blue Jays that I was on, where I had capped it that Ricky Romero would get into the game deep enough so that I wouldn't have to worry about the Blue Jays as much. Now, what I said to people afterwards is, hey, listen, when Romero got pulled, when he wasn't quite as efficient as he perhaps could have been, and he got pulled six and two-thirds in as opposed to, say, seven and two-thirds in, I would be lying to you if at that moment I'm not thinking to myself, uh-oh, that might be a little too early. But the key to that is, is you're always thinking about that. That's part of the thinking in capping a game. So, yeah, you always have to think of that juxtaposition between how far is a starter going in and then how much are you going to have to depend on that bullpen, as you say, both from a long relief and from a closer standpoint. What do you make, betting aside VR, what do you make of just this modern-day notion of how managers handle their pens in general? Like this notion that he's my closer, I don't care if he looks terrible, he's staying in the game. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I don't think that's, you know, I, I'm, I totally disagree with that. For me, it's about production. You know, uh, perfect example, you know, how many times are you going to let Trevor Hoffman lose a game for you <laughs> That's what I'm before saying. you realize, <laughs> you know, he's not going to be your closer. Like the other night, you know? the other night when he, when he lost another one like that, that's when I said, I said afterwards, I go, okay, that's gotta be the final straw, right? It's gotta be. Like exactly. The, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what, you know, I don't understand. But again, then I think also as a handicapper, and this again is a disadvantage that the recreational player has, you know, we have the time to factor that into our reasoning and try to think like, okay, what kind of head coach, this manager, he'll let my starter go, even if he feel, even if he's in a little trouble in the fifth, he'll let him work through it and we'll get this six and a half, maybe even close to seven innings, where, like you said, there's other managers that you know, they see someone in trouble, they'll pull them. They, other guys won't. So I think, it, you know, you have to definitely know who you're dealing with with each, um, when it comes to each team and each team's pen. Um, I myself believe that they actually could give these relief pitchers a heavier workload, that a lot of these managers just don't, you know, they let their starters in too long. Uh, perfect example is Cole Hamels what they did to that kid, you know, and, and he has still yet to recover um, from his first, second year when he jumped from whatever it was, 80 innings to 240 innings pitched, and his arm has still not recovered. And we saw the effects of that all last year and still to this year. Um, you know, so there's some managers that, that are just don't, look at the long term and, and leave their guy out there while other guys, you know, won't do that. I, like I said, I think managers need to put these relief pitchers to work even more than they do and, you know, pull their starters a lot earlier when they get jammed up and not let them have to work through it all the times. I mean, how many times have you seen a game and you just sitting on your couch watching it, you can tell, uh-oh, he don't have it no more. <laughs> you know, he gives up a base hit, hits a batter, walks somebody, yeah. then it's a bloop single, and you could just feel a triple coming, you know, and you're like, how is he not pulling them? So, you know, I, I'm just cutthroat like that. You ain't getting it done. I'd be the first one. I'd beat the pitching coach to the mound and grab the ball out of his hand. <laughs> the, the image of you sprinting in front of the pitching coach and getting to him yeah, first? <laughs> I got to bet the win. <laughs> I would love to see that. Is that VR? Good Lord, I know I that guy. I want to go back and try to find some game film of Pete Rose and see what he did. What did he look like going out there to pull the pitcher if he had a bet on the game? You know, that would be so interesting to look back on and see. 
and and see his reaction to certain things, like maybe if the other team wins and he has he has a smirk. Yeah, or like if the, yeah, if his <laughs> if his team get like if something happens, his team gets scored on. If, if we're to believe that he only bet on the Reds, let's say right, and the opponent scores on him, and like Rose looks particularly upset after that double that cut the lead in half, you know, like yeah, it, or, or he leaves his starter out there after getting shelled for nine runs. <laughs> That's right, huh, Pete? Interesting. Shouldn't you pull that guy right now? I'd really like that man. If someone will put a little like a, a video clip on YouTube. Of, of Pete Rose's facial expressions at, at different times going to the, up to the starting pitcher or whatever, just to try to see who did Pete have that night. You know what sucks about that is that he did all that. We're talking obviously about Pete Rose um, having bet on baseball as manager of the uh, Cincinnati Reds. It was in the late 80s, so it was just before the media saturation, you know, that yeah. we're so used to now. If it happened today, man. Oh, forget about it. We would have cross-checking on, on everything, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Visual reactions, that would be <laughs> awesome. I, I would actually, I'm actually rooting for it now, VR. I'm hoping somebody starts, <laughs> starts Putting fixing. Putting it together. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think, we've, uh, I think we've done baseball justice. The reason I brought all that up, by the way, is because I do sense when I go through the, um, and I'm not just talking about my thread, I'm just talking about the pregame forums in general when I go back. That definitely is the thing about baseball specifically. This is sort of when you have that general attitude of, of public bettors of, yeah, you know, I bet football, I bet basketball a little, I stay away from baseball. I think that's the dynamic, if you want to know the truth, I think that's cutting to the core why people shy away from baseball because that kind of thing doesn't happen in other sports. It's, not, it's just not the nature of other sports. Sure, you know, pick sixes happen at the end when you don't expect it or something like that, but there's not like, you know, uh, Andy Reid doesn't pull the starting quarterback with four minutes left in the game and throw in a, rele- you know, a backup quarterback who then proceeds to jack up the game. It just doesn't work that way in other sports. No, you're absolutely right. I think that is why a lot of recreational players um, stay away from baseball or actually have been, you know, hurt in baseball so they just don't want to bet it anymore and it is because they're handicapping baseball i love it because there's so many factors to consider and not saying that you know the nfl or basketball is easier that there isn't that many factors to consider but but i think baseball does have some of the most you know you really got to go deep to beat baseball and since you're also dealing with a money line um it's very easy to get yourself in trouble and lose your bankroll a lot quicker than only having to lay 110 and keep losing you know you lose a couple of those minus 180s your bankroll's depleted but at minus 110 you know you could lose two three games in a row and still be in action while baseball baseball could send you home real quick yeah well, and all and all of that is why, you know, call me crazy. I love betting baseball so much. Love it. You and me both. Yeah. By the way, VR, before we move on to the NBA, how much would I have to pay you to sit in, like, you know, in the front section of, like, Citizens Bank Park tonight or any ballpark and have you <laughs> sprint out in front of Charlie Manuel, let's say, to get to Cole Hamels first <laughs> and get tasered? Like, how much would I have to pay? I would pay to see that. Dude, I, I got somebody back there who'd probably do it for free. <laughs> I'm sure. In Philly, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, that would be great. I'd be like, that's VR. I'm telling you, that's getting tasered. Yeah, dude, I know that dude. All right, that's awesome. All right, NBA this weekend. The worst NBA playoffs from a fan perspective in the history of the NBA, in my opinion. Just from a sheer lopsided, non-competitive nature. Um, betting aside now, and from just a drag-out quality, the NBA gracing us with its presence again this weekend. Two series that may already be decided, for all we know. Uh, Game three is tomorrow, Saturday, um, of the Celtics and the Magic series. The Celtics are three-and-a-half-point favorites. The Celtics, three-and-a-half-point favorites, as it looks right now. Total right now is at, let's see, 190-and-a-half. And then Sunday, game three of the Lakers and Suns. Phoenix down two to nothing in that one. Suns are two-and-a-half-point favorites. The total there is is 219. 
Have at it, my friend. What do you think? You're absolutely right. This year's playoffs have not been good for the NBA, and I think they really need to start thanking us betters because if it wasn't, if they didn't have lines on these games, I think people might have lost interest weeks ago. Yeah. Um, absolutely right. Uh, the only excitement was Boston Cleveland, um, who got to a game six and game five and six were actually lopsided and one-sided as well. Um, so we've gotten pretty much nothing out of these year's NBA playoffs. And what's worse is we are now at the conference finals, and these are supposed to be the most competitive, right? Yeah. These are supposed to be the, the, the four best teams left. That's right. Um, and maybe it's not that surprising that the Lakers – are up to nothing. You're home. You're supposed to protect your home court advantage. Um, so that that's not as surprising. Um, maybe the the way they won and how they're just able to blow out Phoenix when it's all said and done. Even in Game Two, when Phoenix made a game of it, you know the cream eventually rose to the top, and the Lakers went on to cover. So, I mean, that series is done, bottom line. Lakers are going to the NBA Finals. Um, unfortunately, there's no value in, in betting that series on the adjusted price right now. But um, Phoenix may make a series of it, you know, uh, win a game at home. I hope they actually win, too, so we could have more games to bet on. But uh, as far as series goes, you know, that one's done. And uh, it's just been the size of the Lakers. Phoenix has no answers for it at all. None. And uh, unless they're going to shoot, you know, 52, 53% from the field and 40% from the three-point line, they're not going to beat this team. And uh, they're just a bad matchup, the Lakers are, for Phoenix. Because Phoenix is one of those teams that depends on their perimeter and they depend on being able to run in transition. And both of those, they're not able to do against the Lakers. You're not going to get transition baskets if you ain't, if you're not getting, you know, any of the rebounds, and you're not going to be able to shoot 40% from the three-point line against one of the best perimeter defenses in all the NBA. So, I mean, that was just a nightmare as far as matchups are concerned, and uh, I'm not surprised at all what's happening there. Now it's just a matter of time, I think. You know how long this series lasts. Uh, Boston, Orlando, I'm loving it. I, I after Orlando lost Game One, and they put up that adjusted series price, and the Boston Celtics were plus 105, and just historical probability alone, Gil, mm -hmm. just looking at, at, at NBA semifinals. When the visiting team goes up one nothing, they win 70 percent of the series in the semis, um, and you are giving me plus 105. Um, in the semifinals of all sports that use a seven-game series to determine their playoff winner, 70, what is it? I, I hear it is here, 62% of teams that win game one on the road advance to the finals. So here were the sports books offering me plus 105 on uh, uh, a historical proposition which cashed well over 60-plus percent of the time. And at plus 105, I, I have to win, you know, how many of my pets to turn a long-term profit. So, I mean, to me, that was value, and I jumped all over it. Believe it or not, I still think there's value there. And I wrote a newsletter on that exact thing yesterday, that if I didn't lay this take this plus 105 after game one, I'd be willing to lay minus 430 now because of just historical data coupled with how well the Celtics match up against Orlando. Um, so, you know, I, I was surprised, to be honest with you, that, that Orlando, did, I didn't think they were going to cover game two, but I thought they would at least get the straight-up victory, to be honest with you. Um, when that didn't happen, that one's all but done, my friend. Uh, Orlando is not going to come back to win this series. Uh, they might make a series of it, you know, especially when if they take one in Boston. I think that's a definite probability. Um, but this Boston team's just so hot right now, man. They've won 
three, what is it, four straight on the road. They beat Cleveland twice, Orlando twice. Mm-hmm. You know, they've won five of their six of their last seven games and covered those games. Um, so, so this is a team that's peaking at the right time. Um, and I can't wait to see them match up against the Lakers. Uh, that's going to be an awesome series, I think. And uh, hopefully they give us a good NBA Finals because, like you said, as of right now, man, these series have just been terrible. The NBA is staring at, and of course, they, they no one will be happier with a Celtics-Lakers final than David Stern in the NBA, but they are staring at, potentially now, five out of the six series leading up to the championship series being sweeps. That is a possibility, which is just a nightmare for them. Getting back to the yeah. Celtics and Magic, um, I keep saying this, VR. I keep saying we're looking at the 2008 Celtics, and it's like people refuse. And not only are we looking at the 2008 Celtics, we're looking at the 2008 Celtics with Rajon Rondo being the best player on the court now. You know, So it, it's, it's funny how folks just are slow to sort of grasp that this team is almost that good right now. They've never, the Celtics have never lost a playoff series with Kevin Garnett in the lineup. And that's interesting. You know, that's something that's sort of like, really? They've never lost without Kevin Garnett in the lineup. Now, on in Game 2, when they were 7.5-point dogs against the Magic, I said the same thing you did. I was like, this line is crazy. I said, now I did expect Orlando to eke out a win. I did as well, to be honest. But 7.5 to me is ridiculous. Now, I look at Game 3, where the Celtics are 3.5-point favorites, and I kind of say the same thing, VR. I know I don't usually give opinions on basketball games, but I look at the Celtics as three and a half point favorites, and I'm saying the same thing. I'm like, really? They're only three and a half point favorites? That's shocking to me. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised as well. Um, but what you got to realize is, is the public perception. And nobody, now they're starting to come around, but no one gave this Boston team any respect coming into the playoffs. Everyone was talking Cleveland Orlando conference finals, and probably when it started, Cleveland was going to advance. Um, after we saw a round or two, everyone determined Orlando's the best team in the East, if not the best team in all of the NBA. Um, Boston was never in that conversation. Um, even when they won game five, nobody wanted to believe that they were going to close out and beat Cleveland. With that said, I still think no one wants to believe that Orlando is this bad. And, I mean, they're not that. I don't mean that they're that bad, but as that they're going to lose three straight or they're going to get swept by this Boston team. I mean, because Orlando, while they were sitting back and with their feet up after sweeping Orlando, I, I, after sweeping Atlanta, excuse me, I think they started believing their own press clippings of how great they were mm-hmm. and how they were only the sixth team in NBA history to, to be 8-0 going into the conference finals. Um, what they didn't stop and read was that four of the last five teams that did that didn't win their next series. Um, so uh, this is a team that I think started believing the hype too much. And what they didn't realize is that this Boston team, like you said, looks like the 2008 except better. Because like you said, Rondo is now the best guy on the court. Yeah. Um, so uh, they're, this team's going to create some problems for uh, Lakers. I, I really believe that. I don't think it's going to be as easy for the Lakers as it was against Orlando. Um Looking at this game three line, in the semifinals, believe it or not, when a team wins the first two on the road, um, that's only happened 11 times. All 11 times they won the series, but they're only six and five in game three. Interesting. Straight up. Interesting. Yeah, so, so I think that's one of those cases where a team, again, gets a little too overconfident, and we beat them on the road, so what are they going to do it? when we get home, you know, and unfortunately this late in the playoffs, everybody's good. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're playing the best there is more or less. So you got to bring your a game to the court every single day, or you're going to end up losing the game. And I think historically, that's what we've seen. These teams go up to nothing on the road, come back home, get a little overconfident. The team down to nothing is going to leave it all on the court. You know what I mean? You go down 3 nothing. it's all but over on the road. I mean, it is over. But at least somewhere in the back of their heads, Orlando still believes, 
All we got to do is get that first win. We get one win in Boston, and we have a assured, you know, game five back in Orlando. Um, so I think that's why we're looking at that number. Um, so far from the books I've spoken to, it doesn't look like the betters are biting, and uh, any money's coming in is coming on Boston. Now, let me explain. Yes, the betting public recreational better doesn't bet until game day. Um, even more so, they don't bet until hour before tip-off. Yeah. But when they really like something, um, they try to get down early and not get down on straight bets. So what they do is they start tying up some tickets days in advance with that team. They know they're going to be on Saturday. So books I've spoken to, um, like yesterday, they were getting a lot of parlays with Yankees, Celtics. Yankees, you know, money line with Celtics money line on Saturday, believe it or not. How Obviously, is that? that ticket's no longer alive. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be seeing a lot of that till up until Saturday. And I think come Saturday, the books are going to have to take a look in their, in their computers, look at their screen, and see how much of a liability do they have on the Celtics. And I believe that's when we're going to see a line adjustment. And uh, if this line goes up a little further, higher, I would not be surprised at all to see the wise guys take Orlando. Uh, they haven't made a move yet, so it seems to me they're sitting back. Uh, usually, if they're going to make a move, they're going to get they're going to want to get down on the favorite early. Um, so this tells me they're either going to take the dog or they're not going to take anything at all, because there's no way any betting syndicate in the world's going to sit back and uh, lay three and a half or four when they knew they could have laid three. They're sharp enough to know this line was only going to go up. Um, so this is a little nugget you could, you could pass along to the listeners. Um, if the wise guys don't get down on a game like this right away on the favorite, when we're assured the books are going to get nothing but favorite money, you could be 100% sure that their opinion's either on the dog or neutral. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. And I can actually agree with the fact that if that line did get up, you know, I don't know, five, whatever, you know, then, yeah, it does kind of. That's a big enough bulge where I, I, all, I too, would be like, hmm, I like Orlando getting that many points, you know, kind of. Yeah, me too. The only thing I don't like about Orlando is laying points with them because they're one of the worst foul uh, shooting team in the NBA. And that's one of the main um, – things i always look at it's it's like one of those habits honestly if i'm gonna bet a favorite that's around that four five six seven eight mark they have to be at least in the top half in free throw shooting because more times than not it's going to come down to free throw shooting and covering the spread and uh perfect example those that had the over two nights ago feel like they got cheated. I had the under, so I was very happy. <laughs> but uh, Vince Carter missed those two free throws that would have put it right at the number where the total is. So, I mean, that, that's one of those things. Orlando's one of them teams. If you could get points with them, it's a good bet. But I fear laying points with them. Obviously, that wasn't the case against the Hawks. But against, you know, a good team that's going to be battling with them, you know, the whole 48, um, this team's just not going to hit those free throws late for you. As Vince Carter conjures up the ghost of Nick Anderson the other night. Um, well, yeah, for the record, I already jumped on the Celtics. Minus three. I, lo- I, loved, I loved the Celtics at that number. But we shall see. Um, you did something right in there, VR, that I think gets overlooked. And it's one of the many reasons uh, that I love the way you cap and it's sort of one of these things that doesn't get talked about very often, but you were very okay moments ago, and you did this on previous podcasts too. When you're talking about the NBA playoffs, you go to the historical uh, percentage stats on when a team is you know, down this in this particular round, you know, this many percentage of the times they happen to win, or, and, you, and you've done that a couple times now. And I think what I love about that is that sometimes – Pros or sharp betters are almost too pro or sharp for their own good. I don't, and, and what I mean by that is they're almost too um, insecure about themselves to admit that there are numbers we should pay attention to and that we should rely on as a factor in our handicapping. And I love the fact, and I know you'll be nonchalant about this, but I think you deserve credit. I love the fact that you're 
totally cool with being like, hey, look, dude, as much as I want to, you know, delve into this game, here's the facts. Here's what we actually have to consider. This is based on a huge sample size. So, I mean, a shout to you. I know you'll, you'll sort of wave that off, but I think that's a big deal. No, thank you. And that's a big part of my handicapping because I'm a, I look at the long term. And to do that, historical data is huge. And when you have a big sample size, it's not coincidence. You know, and there's reasoning behind why a team up 2-1, you know, when they've won two games on the road and then they lose that game three at home, what happens game four historically? If you have a big sample size, you know, why that happens, the reasoning behind it a lot of times makes sense. I'm not one to ignore it. To me, this is simply a numbers game, um, nothing more. And I have no ego when it comes to making money. Um so if I see that something seems to be a long-term proposition, a winning proposition, I'm going to jump on that and not ignore my own numbers, but feel confident in that historical data. Um, I believe you're right. A lot of handicappers, a lot of professional sports bettors, their biggest enemy is themselves. Mm-hmm. They have just too big of an ego, and they always have to be the reason why they pick the winner. Right. Um, where with me, I make it no secret, man. I have a lot of sources. A lot of these bets I pass along and get down on is riding someone else's that I trust, that I know, like I say, I trust the historical data. I trust the historical data of certain betting syndicates that I have a big enough sample size. I've long enough. I followed their plays that I know they win more than they lose. Um, great book. I, I finished reading Snowball, um, Warren Buffett. Uh, great book. Uh, it's not going to teach you how to invest and become a billionaire, but it's just a, a very insightful on his life. First time he opened up. And this is a guy who is, uh, was the richest man in the world, and he used to call it, you know, riding someone's coattails. And early on, he had no problems doing that. And he would ride the coattails of someone that obviously knew what they were doing. And I have no ego with that. And that's what I tried at pregame. My number one goal, honestly, Gil, was to be a, a source of information. And just like I have sources, I wanted to be one a source like that for other handicappers, for other pros, for other recreational players that could just pass along accurate and, and, and strong information and let them do what they want with it. Some guy might want to fade me. That's, that's, that's no, I have no hatred towards that. I give out information, do with it what you please. Obviously, I also keep an account balance to try to, you know, replicate what I'm doing and how I try to earn a profit. But at the end of the day, I just want to try to pass along strong information. And it doesn't have to come from me, man. I have no ego about that. Um, That's why I'm willing to give a guy like Bookie Bill his credit. It was his play. Yeah, I cashed on it. I don't have a problem with that, but I'm not going to sit there. I don't need to take the credit for everything. And I think more handicappers need to do that. More professional bettors should, you know, put their ego aside sometimes and, you know, their own ability and their own strength and then, you know, just follow elsewhere. And for me, I love historical data because numbers don't lie. And the same thing with certain wise guys. The numbers don't lie. They win. And that, and that that ability to sort of rely on other people, because as, as and you know this far better than I do, there are certain sports, like, you know, on the weekends we get into boxing sometimes and UFC and tennis and golf and all kinds of different sports. There are guys, not only in Vegas but all around, there are guys that specifically focus on that kind of thing, and I have no problem relying on them for that kind of stuff, you know? Dude, you're absolutely right. I haven't done NHL this year. You know, I love hockey being from Philly. And uh, for, for game two, the Flyers-Montreal, I happened to receive a call from on, who I, I well, to this day, I say is the best hockey handicapper ever of all time. Um, people refuse to take his action back east. Let's put it that way. Um, he asked me to, to get down for him out here on something. His biggest play of pretty much the playoffs was on the uh, Philadelphia Flyers minus 150. I passed that along um, to my morning move subscribers, 
I explained to them exactly why we're betting it. I didn't go and look up matchups and try to find all this data and stats uh, to support the Flyers, and this is why I like them. Because I'd be bullshitting you, dude, yeah. and that's not what I want to do. And uh, I'd rather tell it like it is. The reason we're on the Flyers is because uh, the, the hockey better that I respect more than anyone else in the world is making his biggest bet on this play. That's why we're on it. Hey, you want to write up about it? You, know, you want me to waste my time and yours? I have no problem doing it. <laughs> but anything I'm going to tell you about why we're back in the Flyers is bullshit. What was the name of that it, Warren Buffett book, by the way? What was it? Snowball. I may have to. I may have to pick that up. I'm getting a reading list at pregame, man. Between this and uh, my Saber Metrics show, I got to read that Soccer Metrics book that I got. So- uh, soccer Nomics. It's like open- uh, two, uh, two. I just someone just asked um, in one of my threads if I could recommend any books. Finished two books. Don't know if you read it. You might have. I'm not sure. I just I picked it up at the Gambler's Bookstore, and I mean I went through it so quickly. I want to go through it again. It's called Mathletics. Mathletics. Oh, incredible, dude. It's called Mathletics. It's all about numbers and sports. Oh my um, it's, god. Uh, the the author's name's Winston, and it says how gamblers, managers, sports enthusiasts use mathematics in baseball, basketball, and football. You're going to love it. Oh, my God. My I, I, it, you will dig through it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's incredible. It, 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 I mean, some of the stuff is just like formulas on, you know, if this player played this, you know, in 2000 instead of 1938, what would his true stats be? You know, so there's some formulas on how to do things like that. But, I mean, it really breaks down so much good information as far as, numbers go um with sports in those the big three you'll love it mathletics is is an incredible book brother dude my head might explode with excitement before i get to chapter three i'm just sitting here thinking about it i'm like this is the greatest thing ever mathletics wow i'm telling you yeah that's that's you all over (laughs) dude are you sure i didn't write that book good lord that's what i was gonna say that i mean no lie dude It, it is so you oh man all right, so let me add that to so snowball and mathletics added to the yeah, list that, of soccer. You'll love it. You'll love it, dude. We're better than Oprah. I'm serious. <laughs> Killing VR's book club. That's right. This is the greatest thing ever. All right, dude. Well, it, that is great. So I'm, I may have to pick those up. And I'm serious. Like when I hear a good book like that, I will go like today and oh, you'll, buy you'll, it. you'll you'll go, dude. I I couldn't put it down, man. It was just so interesting. And I'm sure you're better than math that I am, so you'll even understand it at a higher level than I did. I mean, I'm going to have to go through it a few times, um, but it is that interesting. <laughs> you see, like, breaking out your protractor and stuff, and stuff like that yeah, when you read the book. exactly, dude, exactly. <laughs> VR, as always, dude, I love Fridays because you and I just start talking, and then we get in all kinds of things, and I live for it. So, you know, wonderful and Obviously, interleague play, looking at those basketball games tomorrow. All good information as we approach our wagers this weekend. Appreciate it, man. My pleasure, man. want to wish you all the best of luck. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Make some money. Uh, next week will be Memorial Day weekend. We'll have a ton to talk about. There's even some great UFC, so uh, always look forward to the Friday show, brother. Vegas runner, Gil Alexander, your betting dork. Thank you so much for listening right here at pregame.com. <laughs>